Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Tom Cheney and this is Living Health Live. Joining me on the show as well as in life and in our practice, Living Health Integrated Medicine is my wife, Dr. Stephanie Cheney. We are your trusted source for the latest information to help you get and stay healthy naturally. We're super excited to have you in on today's show. You're going to get some great information, strategies, and the latest research on how to live a healthier life. On today's episode, we have a guest, Dr. Thomas Levy, is going to be joining us today. Super excited to have him join us. And a little bit about Dr. Levy. He's a board-certified cardiologist and a bar-certified attorney. After practicing adult cardiology for 15 years, he began to research the enormous toxicity associated with much dental work, as well as the pronounced ability of properly administered vitamin C to neutralize this toxicity. Hmm. He's now written 13 books with several addressing the wide ranging properties of vitamin C and neutralizing all toxins and resolving the most and resolving most infections, as well as its vital role in effective treatment of heart disease and cancer. Others address the important roles of dental toxicity and nutrition in disease and health. He was inducted into the Orthomolecular Medicine Hall of Fame in 2016. Dr. Levy continues to research the impact of the orthomolecular application of vitamin C and antioxidants in general on chronic degenerative diseases, including heart disease. His ongoing research involves documenting that all diseases are are different forms and degrees of focal scurvy arising from increased oxidative stress, especially intracellularly, and that they all benefit from protocols that optimize the antioxidant levels in the body. In particular, the cause and effect relationship between the oral cavity infections and all heart attacks is now solidly, solidly established. He is now the medical advisor to the U.S. Freedom Flyers group. Wow, that's a mouthful. Lots of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, and I was saying, who is that guy? Well, who are you talking about? <laughs> so so 13 here. books, huh? I read uh, Primal Panacea, and that's, um, you know, I had a, uh, you know, I read that, and I got some great information. I've been referring that to, to many of our patients. So, um, so why don't we start out? Why don't we jump into some of the things that, um, some of the important information from Primal Panacea. And, you know, one of the things that struck me when I was reading that, I found it fascinating that we're one of only three mammals that cannot produce vitamin C. And uh, I thought that was just quite amazing. Well, it it is, uh, but it's important to realize that we have the genetic equipment to make vitamin C, but we lost it presumably evolutionarily, but also from toxicity. Hmm. Uh, I say that because animals in the wild, for the most part, with the exception of what bats and guinea pigs and primates like like us, uh, they make vitamin C from glucose. And of course, glucose is very common. So it's really and truly the primary role of glucose, not only should be in us, but also in animals is to be a substrate and a precursor to vitamin C. The interesting thing is, is this is a four enzyme sequence in the liver from going from glucose, four enzyme modification until you finally form this enzyme called galonolactone oxidase that allows the transcription 
of the portion of the gene to make vitamin C. Well, the interesting thing is, is that we didn't really lose it in terms of genetics. We've had it modified due to epigenetics. I say that because even today, many babies are born and they're able to make vitamin C, but they lose that ability hmm. as time goes on. And as it turns out, <clears throat> epigenetics means you still have the proper DNA code. You're just getting the process of transcribing it screwed up. So uh, I like it. I liken it to gum on a uh, on a zipper. You you the zipper is the DNA and uh, the ribosome the uh, is reading the messenger RNA, but something stops the transcription from taking place completely. And we also have found out <clears throat> that there are certain nutrients polyphenols, and particularly hydroxytyrosol from olive leaf extract that appears to allow human beings to start making vitamin C again. So for this and many other reasons, I always recommend olive leaf extract as one of the primary supplements that people should take. That's amazing. It's, well, as a, I'll tell you this, <clears throat> we, Dr. Ron Honeyhackey and I did our own little experiment on this. And the experiment being, we wanted to see, we were taking the olive leaf extract and we measured vitamin C levels and they were good. Now, what happens if you can't make vitamin C <clears throat> and you get a large toxin exposure? Toxin is pro-oxidant. You start using up the vitamin C so that whatever vitamin C you have in your blood starts dropping. On the other hand, if your liver can make vitamin C and can respond to that oxidative stress, like the wild animals, you should see the opposite. You should see it go up. So Dr. Honey Hackey and I picked our favorite toxins. Uh, his was dark beer and mine was, uh, mine was scotch whiskey. And, and we had some of the members of the clinic over at the house to draw blood work, which is a good thing because uh, we, uh, we rapidly uh, put ourselves into a position of non-functionality but suffice <laughs> it to say <clears throat> when all was said and done and we had all the results back here's what happened here's vitamin c and my vitamin c like this in the blood large dose of alcohol toxin and the vitamin c started rising wow and it stayed elevated for a full 24 hours until all the toxicity was metabolized and we both, in spite of being reasonably blitzed, woke up without any headache at all and felt great. So the human liver can make vitamin C, but under certain circumstances. That's an important concept to understand this is epigenetic and not genetic. We have the code. We just got to find a way to not screw up transcribing the, uh, the DNA correctly. And I'm sure our environmental toxic burden in the last 50, 80 years and our terrible food quality and... <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, we the study was done with hydroxytyrosol, but there's no reason to believe that hydroxytyrosol is the only substance that can undo whatever toxicity is causing this poor transcription yeah. to take place. Because ultimately, all damage is oxidative and all restoration is reduction and it all has to do with the right molecule being in the right place at the right time and in this case apparently hydroxytyrosol 
I'm not good on biochemistry, but is able to interact with whatever is screwing up the transcription of the, uh, of the DNA uh, to allow full transcription to take place and vitamin C to be synthesized. And let me quickly add, this is important because, and I've written a lot about this lately, what should be happening when you have any big stress, any big toxin, any big exposure? Well, what always happens, and this is called like the fight or flight response. So stress can come in the form of adrenaline, stress can come in the form of a toxin, you name it, an infection, always toxic. So let's say you get a big infection into your blood, your adrenal glands release cortisol. And what should be happening at the same time, but is not most of the time, is the liver should be making vitamin C. Mm. And this is because vitamin C and cortisol are natural partners. We all talk about corticosteroids as being the most potent anti-inflammatory agents known. Not really. They have that label because their primary purpose is to push vitamin C, the true absolute perfect anti-inflammatory agent inside your cells. And that's what should be happening. Instead, it's not happening. And at the same time, the cortisol is allowing the body to make more glucose, hoping that glucose will be turned into vitamin C, but it's not. And that's why long-term abnormal prescription therapy with corticosteroids causes diabetes and everything else yeah. is because it continues to provoke new glucose that's not being used up to properly make vitamin C. Just uh, curious, what was the dosing that you guys took of the hydroxytyrosol? Uh, 50 milligrams a day. That's it? That's it. Amazing. So I find it interesting that we're talking, you know, Dr. Tom and I, we, we do this podcast and we talk about the latest and the greatest, but vitamin C isn't really the latest. It might be one of the greatest, but it's not really the latest. It's historically been around for quite some time and we have suppressed its uh, use and knowledge of what it does, correct? Well, we suppressed it because it is the greatest. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty straight. That's the sad truth I mean, of it. Uh, what's interesting, too, is, uh, and I just wrote a paper on this on the Orthomolecular Medicine News site, is <clears throat> methylene blue turns mm. out to be one of those phenomenal antioxidants out there. And the really interesting thing about methylene blue is it's probably the only true synthesized agent not orthomolecular, does not occur naturally in the body, but my goodness, it does everything that vitamin C does, and include, wow. including turning your urine blue, not that that's desirable. I've, yeah, I've used that. <laughs> More of a greenish tinge. <laughs> you're right, you're right. More of a greenish tinge. Yellow, it's, and, it's, it's, yellow and blue make green. <laughs> the other thing that uh, I found, and recently working on this for the workshop I have coming up, is... We talk about toxins, and we talk which are pro-oxidant, and we talk about vitamin C antioxidant. Well, obviously, antioxidants once they donate their electron, they become a pro-oxidant because they've lost their electron. Right. Okay. So yeah. the question then is, how is a pro-oxidant that is an oxidized antioxidant different from the oxidized toxins seeking electrons? And the answer is really simple, as it turns out, which is 
the primary function of vitamin C is not so much to donate the electron as to promote electron flow. So it gives and takes, gives and takes, gives and takes because it's basically equally stable chemically in either its reduced or oxidized form. On the other hand, the toxin, once it takes an electron away, it holds onto it. It doesn't give it up. So true antioxidants like vitamin C and methylene blue promote electron flow and toxins block electron flow. And electron flow, of course, is microcurrents. And the microcurrents inside cells are essential for their health and essential for generating healthy transmembrane voltages. And the other interesting thing is, and this validates, I believe, what I just said, which is you can find a lot of studies that show that ascorbic acid, vitamin C, will cure an infection. But guess what? Dehydroxyascorbic acid, the, the oxidized form of ascorbic acid, will as well. And with methylene blue, methylene blue is in the oxidized form. Leucomethylene blue is the reduced form. And they both do the same thing. You give either one to a patient with advanced COVID, and you'll start getting them out of their cytokine storm really quickly. The point being then is, is that the primary role of perfect antioxidants like vitamin C and probably like methylene blue is not the fact that they're really bringing in new electrons, just the fact that they're making sure they're distributed. So bringing in something new is of really little to no value if you can't get it where it needs to go. So it's kind of like the primary role is that they're running the machine, they're running the engine, but ultimately they only get new electrons. You only get new electrons from a good diet, specifically plant foods. And I'm not, I'm not saying anti-meat, but I'm saying the electrons in the meat come from plant foods. The only new electrons on this planet come from the sun. Okay, so unless you can tap in to that source, uh, you're just regenerating uh, and redistributing the same electrons. But the new electrons need to come in from a quality diet and the vitamin C and methylene blue make sure they get distributed throughout the, throughout the body. Wow. Okay, so you mentioned, um, you mentioned COVID and that's, uh, we actually did uh, a webinar back in December for our patients and uh, it was dealing with long COVID and adverse vaccine events. And, you know, right. we're always very careful about how we say that these days um, for obvious reasons. And um, we actually cited um, some of your publications with orthomolecular with regards to high dose vitamin C, the Rouleau effect and, you know, the positive mm-hmm. effects at, at restoring normal red blood cell and vascular function, because you're, we're dealing both with uh, the pathogen, whatever that path- pathogen might be, but then also restoration and healing and, you know, coming back from, so there's a lot of different aspects of how vitamin C, um, I, I guess I'm wondering what the mechanisms are with regards to vitamin C and various pathogens, because I've read different things that talk about cancer being, you know, parasite or fungal type infection, uh, whether that's infiltrated the cell, viral potentially. Uh, we know that vitamin C can help with things like Lyme and various bacteria. So what is what is the mechanism, I guess, of how it kills a pathogen or simulates its destruction? And then there's this whole back end, the after effect of also helping with the healing. 
Well, <clears throat> there's probably a lot more than this, but I would say that there's two primary ways that vitamin C combats infections. Number one is it's essential for immune cell health. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, monocytes, for example, have uh, 80 fold, 8,000% more vitamin C than the surrounding area, okay? And what happens when you have an inflammation, an acute infection, you have an acute depletion of vitamin C in that area, and mono, the monocyte is the first cell to show up. Hmm. Says to me that the primary role of the immune system is to supply vitamin C where it's been acutely depleted by inflammation. Because inflammation equal vitamin C depletion, vitamin C depletion, inflammation. They're synonyms for the same thing. Now, with regard to specific infections, we have identified uh, in cells that are infected, not just uh, virus, bacteria, you name it. Nearly all significant pathogens thrive and subsist on large amounts of iron. The more iron you put into the body, the more pathogens proliferate. Hmm. Iron's not something you want for body health, but for pathogen health, it's great. Well, vitamin C in particular, you have something called the Fenton reaction inside the cell. So let's say you have an infected cell, okay? And normally in that infected cell, you have a certain level of hydrogen peroxide, okay? And you have a certain level increased in pathogens as I just said of iron. So what happens when you bring in a lot of vitamin C? You do two things. The vitamin C goes inside the cell donates an electron to Fe3 plus to make it Fe2 plus, ferric to ferrous, and then that ferrous is able to donate that electron to hydrogen peroxide, which then breaks down into hydroxy radical, which is the most potent oxidizing substance, or toxin, if you will, known to man. It's so toxic, it never migrates. It immediately oxidizes whatever it's next to as soon as it's formed. So, that's how you kill the pathogen. But you need to be able to sustain the reaction. Any chemical reaction, you need to keep feeding all the components if you want the reaction to continue to completion. So in this case, you're continuing to put in vitamin C, which is great, so you have the electron donor going in. At the same time, large amounts of vitamin C causes the formation of large amounts of extracellular hydrogen peroxide which can freely diffuse inside the cell. So you have the vitamin C supplying the electron. It's also supplying new hydrogen peroxide and the hydrogen peroxide inside the cell mobilizes iron from its storage site. So as long as you're continuing to supply vitamin C, you continue to promote all three major steps of the Fenton reaction until you have so much oxidative stress, the pathogen ruptures and dies. So it's pretty elegant, pretty elegant stuff. And that, how are are our cells protected? Because I've read um, things that, um, you know, vitamin C is uh, like a cancer-specific chemo um, in terms of not affecting the healthy cell versus affecting an aberrant cell or a bacteria or whatever. So how does how does that work? Well, as it turns out, just like a pathogen, Cancer cells proliferate with iron. So iron is really the nasty guy here. 
And this is, I talk about iron being a toxic nutrient. You need a very minimal amount of it to sustain health. And above that, it's uniformly severely bad for your health. It promotes cancers, it feeds cancers, it promotes infections. And remember, or realize infections low grade are the primary cause of new oxidative stress in your body, promoting all disease everywhere. Mm -hmm. So you, you actually, and, and the other thing too about a little, we might get into hydrogen peroxide later, I don't know, but hydrogen peroxide is labeled as a reactive oxygen species, which is really not a good word for hydrogen peroxide <clears throat> because it implies hydrogen peroxide is unstable and it's not hydrogen peroxide inside the body is extremely stable mm -hmm. unlike other reactive oxygen species which just need to have a chemical reaction right away but and this is going back to what we're talking about the hydrogen peroxide only becomes oxidatively active in the proper microenvironment which is when you start having an infection what happens to your acid-base balance? It becomes acidic. Mm -hmm. And that acidic microenvironment, along with the ambient iron that's already present, turns on the, uh, the hydrogen peroxide so that it starts converting to the hydroxyl, hydroxyl radical and doing everything else we talked about. I mean, hydrogen peroxide is a 100% natural molecule inside our body. Uh, I've written about hydrogen peroxide nebulization, and it's mm -hmm. almost hilarious how some of the pulmonary experts just go absolutely bananas. I know. And I don't know if it would sink in even if they read the book, but hydrogen peroxide is naturally produced, naturally produced mm -hmm. by the cells of the respiratory tract to push it into the, into the airspace. Why? Well, you inhale pathogens with every breath. Okay, so you're continuing to protect against developing new pathogens because of that. And you mentioned healing. This is also why hydrogen peroxide is absolutely ideal, especially in the nebulized form but in other forms and applications as well, is whenever you give a prescription drug or even a supplement that's good, uh, especially the prescription drugs, they don't usually break down into metabolites that are good for you. you. You end up having maybe a positive effect and then toxic metabolites circulate. Well, hydrogen peroxide, how about this? It goes in, let's talk about the lungs. It kills the pathogen. And then you know what its metabolic byproducts are? Oxygen and water. Water, yeah. And you say healing. What is the optimal circumstance for a damaged mucosal surface healing? And that's oxygenation and hydration. So hydrogen peroxide is beyond ideal yeah. as a healing agent. Perfect system. Yes. Wow. Now, one, okay. of the things, um, one of the things I get from patients about uh, vitamin C, and I remember even going back to school, and uh, I remember a professor actually talking about how you know, you don't want to go too high with vitamin C because it could could harm you and could be toxic. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so what are your thoughts on that? Well, it does have a horrible side effect when it gets really high in your system, and that's an unidentifiable sense of well-being. 
<laughs> God forbid. Yeah, yeah they, they, they used to have it, or they still have an expression when I was med, med school and all, called it FUO, a fever of unknown origin. So I like to say that when you take a lot of vitamin C, you get an HUO. You get health of unknown origin. <laughs> no, it is, it's, it's completely, completely ridiculous. And this is part of the thing, and what I hope to accomplish with this workshop on Sunday is there's a lot of docs out there that seem to like vitamin C and they'll give five or 10 or 15 grams intravenously or something like that, but they're frightened to death of 50 grams or 75 grams or 100 grams. So, I mean, at the Reardon Clinic, my colleague that uh, that uh, got inebriated with me, Dr. Rob Hedihacki, <laughs> uh, for, for the uh, vitamin C experiment, over the course of the last 35 years, he's given a mere 150,000 infusions of vitamin C. Yeah. Okay. And most of them have been 50 grams or more. Mm -hmm. Many of them 75, 100, 125 grams. And there's never been a problem. Never yeah. been a problem. And there's not a, um, <clears throat> and he said, if vitamin C caused kidney stones, Wichita and the Reardon Clinic would be the kidney stone capital of the world, but they don't. Okay, so right. what causes kidney stones <clears throat> is oxalate plus calcium. Calcium mm -hmm. is your problem when you have stone forming problems. Mm -hmm. But it's and it's just and, and they have the same fear of cortisol, hydrocortisone, even when you use it in physiological doses because. They're frightened of what happens when you take 30 milligrams of prednisone for a month. Yeah, a lot of bad stuff happens. But when you take cortisol in replacement dosages, it's like any other hormone therapy. I mean, taking testosterone when it's depleted, estrogen when it's depleted, thyroid hormone when it's depleted, or cortisol for life when it's depleted does nothing but good. Versus prednisone or cortisone. Versus prednisone, which is... Right. Uh, this is a, a, I know. And, and I try to make that point is when you need the benefits of corticosteroids, you need to stick with hydrocortisone, mm -hmm. okay? That's what the body naturally makes. That's what comes out of your adrenal glands. And uh, everybody, when they're acutely affected or acutely stressed, not only need vitamin C, but they need more cortisol, even if for the sake of argument, their adrenal glands are normal because... Uh, that's when you get infections is when the pathogen level gets so high and you're not able to come up with enough cortisol and vitamin C in the bloodstream to get inside the cells to protect them. So, I mean, when you start to get a cold or COVID or anything else and you say take four or five grams of vitamin C three or four times a day and with each dose take 10 or 15 or 20 milligrams of hydrocortisone, that does nothing but good, nothing but good. And I tell you, it'll get you out of infections quicker than you can imagine. So that was um, explaining why steroid therapy during the massive cytokine storms that people were experiencing was actually a benefit in that moment. Yeah, well, you see, the thing is, is they, uh, unfortunately, the vitamin C relationship with cortisol yeah. is still not appreciated, but <clears throat> two things happen. Let's say you're not taking any vitamin C or you're taking very small levels of vitamin C. 
and take a bunch of hydrocortisone or a prescription corticosteroids, which I don't recommend, but still, nevertheless, at the outset of that treatment, they take all the extracellular vitamin C and push it inside the cell. So it's always fantastic when you first take a steroid because it takes the vitamin C that's there and pushes it in. Furthermore, for limited oxidative stresses and limited new infections, and I think this is probably an evolutionary adaptation to the fact that the humans lost their ability to make vitamin C, is the adrenal gland has a high concentration of vitamin C in it as well. And early on, when you have an acute stress, but not a chronic one, it will secrete the cortisol and it will release the vitamin C at the mm. same time, trying to compensate for the liver's lack of kicking in and making the vitamin C. But, uh, and, that, and that's why I pulled the two together. The docs have a completely irrational fear of higher doses of vitamin C, even the ones that have no problem using 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 grams. And of course, my goodness, they... And this is what I want to dispel with this workshop so people can start using this around the country is get rid of this corticosteroid fear. And you get rid of it by never prescribing a corticosteroid <laughs> and just using hydrocortisone. Well, hydrocortisone does need a prescription. I don't yeah. know. But, but it's a natural thing. Hydrocortisone equal cortisol. Same molecule. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. That so um, so that makes, you know, when we've got patients and we do various types of testing in the office, you know, we do cortisol testing, adrenal stress index testing, and they come in completely flatlined, <laughs> like cortisol levels throughout the day or nothing. That might be a person who could benefit from that cortisol supplementation for a period of time and probably no. vitamin C. Because, no doubt about it. it yeah. You know, it's... I mean, why would you check cortisol levels if you're not going to treat deficient levels? Yeah. So that's, and, but the thing is, this is, I'm sure you both know, cortisol is highest in the morning and yep. then it's gradually going down until you go to bed at night. So a very simple way, an easy way and safe way to approach somebody who has, um, as you said, a flat line of cortisol, or even at the very least, not as much in the morning. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's, there's, there's subsets of everything, but there are many people that have cortisol abnormalities where there's very little in the morning and it starts building up. So you're usually concerned with getting cortisol on board in the morning. So yes, for somebody like that, uh, I would say between 10 and 20 milligrams, you know, depending on body size and depending on whether... Uh, how sick they are, depending on clinical feedback. You know, you start one thing and it has a great result or not such a great result, you adjust. Mm -hmm. But the concept would be to take between 10 and 20 milligrams of hydrocortisone, preferably one hour before. That's how long it takes to have its peak concentration in the blood. So take your cortisol uh, first thing in the morning and an hour later, uh, if you're doing an IV, fine. But I let me backtrack and say, if you're taking your vitamin C orally as well, regular vitamin C, take them at the same time. Mm. On the other hand, if you have liposome encapsulated vitamin C that gets into the blood really quickly, mm -hmm. then do the cortisol at zero time 
and and then take the liposome encapsulated vitamin C an hour later, and you'll you'll get the peak uh, mm-hmm. peak presence of those two in the blood at the same time. And man, you'll you'll see those you'll see those patients spring back to life like you can't believe. Just you know, a lot of them don't realize how fatigued they are. Don't oh. realize how miserable they are. I mean, yeah. we we <laughs> we. We, we tend not to appreciate good health. We only notice bad health. So, I mean, uh, I, I, as a matter of fact, I used to work with Dr. Huggins way back in the day. And he'd do all these things, take out the infected teeth, start supplements, good diet, you name it. And they had a questionnaire that the patients would fill out. And one of the things I did was I'd follow up on the phone with these patients one, two months later after they went through this. And... And I'm not saying we're not mostly like this, but you know, patients are whiners. <laughs> and uh, and so I'd say, well, Mrs. Jones, um, how are you doing? Well, I don't know. I guess I'm doing okay. And then I'd look at the symptom sheet, and I'd say, well, uh, are you still having any of those migraine headaches? Oh, well, no. I said, well, it shows here that you had three a day before. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, um, uh, how's your how's your breathing? Well, I don't know. Okay, I said, well, can you take a long walk without uh, without having short of breath? Well, yes. Well, it shows here you couldn't do that before. And I mean, it'd be like a light going on inside their head where they say, "Oh my God, I am getting better." Yeah. But it sounds silly, but a lot of times you need to point this out to patients yeah. that they're getting better. Yeah, they've been so sick for so long that that's become their their normal. Exactly. In their, you know, in their mind, and it's it's almost like the mental retraining has to happen when the physical is like exactly. coming on board. Exactly. Good way of putting it. They they have to they have to retrain their brain, their expectations. I always said too that for somebody who had never supplemented before, and they start supplementing vitamin C in a reasonable good dose, they develop a new health awareness. Okay, they develop, they, they get to feeling better than they ever did before. And as a result, they're much more sensitive to when something is starting to develop. Yeah. And then they can hit it really quickly because, you know, they've gotten used to this higher standard of health. And when, well, I feel okay today, but I don't feel great or this out of the other, then they get hit it hard with vitamin C or as we're talking about right now, if, if they have a as needed bottle of hydrocortisone with instructions on how to use it, that's when they go ahead and take a big dose of vitamin C and 20 milligrams of cortisol. That is never, never, never going to hurt you. Okay, so people yeah. say, oh my God. I mean, when you have Addison's disease yeah. with a complete loss of the ability to make hydrocortisone, cortisol, roughly speaking, I'm sure there's a there's a variation in dose, but roughly speaking, that person needs 40 milligrams of hydrocortisone today, okay, as restoration. But still, that doesn't account for acute stressors. Uh, in the book, Safe Uses of Cortisol, uh, by Dr. McJeffries, uh, when you're dealing, let's say, already with an acute infection, you can easily be taking 100 milligrams of hydrocortisone today wow. until you get over that infection. So, So that's another situation where just because you're replacing the baseline cortisol needs of a severely adrenally insufficient patient, 
still doesn't mean they don't need double or triple doses where they're starting to get threatened with an infection. So um, as far as, because this is what we're seeing in practice right now. So we, we do a lot of, we see a lot of functional medicine patients. I work with a lot of biotoxin, autoimmune, you know, we, we right. kind of, we kind of attract what I cheeky, cheekily refer to as the John Hopkins flunkies <laughs> into our office. And, um, you know, we do ozone and vitamin C IV in the office, functional medicine, all this stuff. This past year has been, we're just inundated with, uh, very date coincidence onsets of various conditions related to when they got their vaccine. Persistent spike protein syndrome. Yeah, that's a good name for it. Is there an ICD-10 for that yet? <laughs> I've tried to get it out there. <laughs> um, so explain to uh, our viewers how high-dose vitamin C, oxygen therapies, things like that, can handle either long-haul help with the long haul or this persistent spike, because ultimately that's what this mRNA technology is supposedly doing is turning us into factories of spike protein. Exactly. Um, It's my belief, okay, that if you just have the ability and you hit somebody with 50 milligrams, 75 milligrams of vitamin C intravenously a day for a couple weeks, maybe not even every day, you know, three four days. So six or seven or eight over the course of two weeks with hydrocortisone, I think you're going to knock it out. However, there's no need to limit yourself to that because we also have the methylene blue. Uh, my, my simplest, least expensive a way to deal with persistent spike protein because there's many different things you can do and it has to do with expense, what you have available to you. I mean, it's great that you have ozone, but telling people to get ozone therapy is not going to do them mostly good because there's not that many docs that do ozone. So it's not like I'm knocking ozone. I'm just saying, let me tell you about something that you have your best chances of getting a hold of. And that's high dose vitamin C, even if they can't get it intravenously, Everybody can start taking sodium ascorbate to bowel tolerance throughout the day, okay, which over a period of time gets your C levels very high. Or like the liposomal. Right. And if, and the liposomal. And if they have uh, an open-minded doc, they can get the cortisol to go with it, which is even better. Very important, though, is hydrogen peroxide nebulization, okay? Mm-hmm. These, these people... Anytime you've had a cold or flu or COVID or anything else, even when you feel perfectly fine, if you did not take a specific uh, biofilm pathogen-killing intervention, you've got chronic pathogen colonization in your nose and throat. And you've got to knock it out, okay? So the peroxide nebulization knocks out, makes everything else more effective. Now, the methylene blue, interestingly enough, not only nukes the pathogen, it blocks its receptor site taking up in the cell, the ACE2 receptor, and it also kills the pathogen inside the cell. So uh, I've got no reason to believe that vitamin C wouldn't do the same thing, except that part about methylene blue has been documented. So that's part of the regimen as well. And then finally, very importantly, because you want to 
inhibitor stop replication, you want to inhibit inhibitor stop binding, and you want to kill it inside the cell that's already infected. Well, we're talking about persistent spike protein here, so you need something that dissolves the spike protein. Now, once again, there's probably a lot of different things that will do this, but what we do know now that does do it are natokinase. Mm -hmm. Natokinase not only dissolves the spike protein, it's very good at dissolving pre-existing blood clots. So that's a double whammy for probably if, if you had to take a single one, let's say you're compromised by expense, go with a stout dose of natokinase. If, if expense is not that big a deal, add to the natokinase bromelain and then acetylcysteine, which do the same thing. Uh, I suspect, like I said, there's probably a lot of other proteolytic enzymes that are going to come down the pike that do the job as well or better. But as you well know, too, this is a daily evolving type of uh, yeah. situation. And, and, and finally, we're getting a little bit, not a lot, we're getting a little bit away from the the COVID suppression of free, free speech, and we're starting to see more and more and more research and more and more things get actually published uh, and uh, and getting less and less refutable every day. Yes, and uh, to your point, and these are all these are all the things that we're recommending. I was just laughing about the hydrogen peroxide nebulization because I I've emailed out instructions and links to about five patients this week <laughs> for peroxide. Well, it's that time of year, you know. You know, uh, I, I can't say I have a ton of emails like this, but I just got an email a week ago. And this lady was just so profusely, uh, she said that her 16-year-old son, who had had Crohn's disease for years, years, was so debilitated, he spent most of his time in bed, uh, was getting all these immunosuppressive drugs, I don't even know all their names, oh, yeah. and told he could never get off of these the rest of his life. He took a handful of supplements, good supplements, but supplements, and he started hydrogen peroxide nebulizing every day. His bowels are completely normal. Isn't that amazing? He's, he's out of bed. He's exercising every day. He's on his sports teams, and he's a new person. Now, I think most people, most docs have been told that uh, Crohn's disease is not curable, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, guess what? If you stop poisoning the gut, which yeah. is what peroxide nebulizer. And this comes back to the fact that he didn't have sore throats. He didn't have colds. That's why I say if you have the wrong virus or whatever, whatever time in the past, six months ago, five years ago, 15 years ago, and you never took an agent, <clears throat> and there are no prescription agents, none, yeah. that will take care of a biofilm or the pathogens underlying it. So you need the peroxide nebulization, maybe sodium bicarbonate, maybe iodine, maybe DMSO. There are other things that can do it, but I know the hydrogen peroxide does do it. And as yeah. we discussed earlier, it's an ideal agent because look, you have water H2O, you have oxygen O2, and you have hydrogen peroxide H2O2. Yeah. That it's kind of ring, rings a bell of familiarity inside yeah. the body. Yeah. Very, very basic. Keep <laughs> it simple, right? <laughs> That's amazing. So um, topical application, I just wanted to 
share my own personal, Dr. Tom and I and some of our colleagues and friends have used just simple ascorbic acid powder mixed in a simple water, you know, paste and applied it to suspicious uh, growths. Um, some confirmed, some not. Sometimes the diagnosis is in the treatment itself. And we have some very interesting, almost caustic reactions to that area. Uh, and then, of course, the body eliminates it through a scab and heals it. And um, so what it I would assume that's a similar application just on the outside. Sure, sure. And, and the other thing, too, is uh, probably the most underutilized pathogen agent on the planet is insulin. Okay. What does insulin do? Hey, we're coming back again. Insulin, by several different mechanisms, pushes vitamin C inside the cell. So on a wound or something like that, they actually, believe it or not, they have huge probable placebo-controlled trials of insulin systemically and insulin topically phenomenally accelerating chronic unhealing wounds. And so I say, if you have a wound like that, you put the vitamin C in it, put 50 units of insulin, and you just spray it on the wound. And you will really get yeah. accelerated resolution on something like that. And bearing in mind, uh, <clears throat> another thing, insulin potentiation therapy. I'm sure you're familiar with that, even if you don't do it. A lot of people are not too crazy about making people as severely hypoglycemic as, the, as you want them to get in the office. Well, that is glucose plus insulin. That's it. Well, guess what? Forget about the glucose and give vitamin your C. IPT with 50 grams of vitamin C intravenously yeah. because it's the, the insulin pushes whichever is available, glucose or vitamin C inside the cell. Mm. So this is uh, just another way. I, I call them the major healing factors. The major healing factors are vitamin C, uh, hydrocortisone, magnesium, mm. insulin, and hydrogen peroxide. Hmm. Mm -hmm. now, there's, more, there's more things that are good, but as, as you said, keep it simple, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. There, right. That is for you. There's your big five. Okay, and and you can manipulate, and I, I, as I say, you know, kind of like uh, you're at a buffet and you're choosing your own uh, your own meal, you can create your own protocol. Those are all completely safe interventions. Yeah. And the other thing too is they routinely with IPT make people so hypoglycemic. Well, guess what? I mean, I'll for example, uh, I'm not patient. Okay, so I don't like starting an IV on myself and sitting there for an hour and a half. I put everything in a 50cc syringe, 25 grams of vitamin C, a gram of magnesium chloride, 25 units of insulin, and then I hook up my butterfly and I push it all in about three to five minutes. <laughs> and and it's, it's great. It, uh, sometimes I add a little DMSO, all, all that as well. Simple, clean, easy, and uh, pain-free. And uh, I never induce any. Um, I never induce any glycemic uh, evidence like that. Uh, why? Because you have a large amount of vitamin C in the bloodstream that the insulin is working on. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's, that sounds like something that the body would want to uptake even more so than glucose, especially if it's dealing with stressors. Okay. Well, <laughs> you, you led me in on that one. Let me just say this. <laughs> the Krebs cycle. The Krebs cycle runs on glucose. You go glucose, four steps, then oxygen, and then you make 36 ATP from one glucose. Okay. Presumably a pretty good way of making um, energy. Well, what would happen if our bodies, if our livers was making vitamin C like it should, and all the glucose is being used to make vitamin C, then it would be vitamin C that the insulin is pushing inside the cell, not glucose. I think Krebs is a completely compensatory cycle that has developed over the years due to our loss of our ability to make vitamin C in the liver. Mm. When you give a large amount of vitamin, of vitamin C, and I've done this too, this one's not too pleasant, but uh, if, if you just give the vitamin C by itself, rapid IV push, nothing else, uh, you'll get dizzy because you're getting hypoglycemic. Uh, the pancreas sees vitamin C and glucose as the same molecule. Right. So you can, and I even talked about an endogenous form of IPT, which is, you know, just, uh, but it's not necessary. But conceptually, uh, you just give uh, vitamin C rapidly and you drop the, you drop the blood sugar and you secrete the insulin without having to administer it and then take the vitamin C as well. But I think it's a whole lot easier the other way I said, which just take a take a, a, a large vitamin C infusion and either put glucose in it. And when you see what they give an IPT, they'll give, you know, 50, 50, milli, 50 units subcutaneously, even more to really drop the blood sugar and the patient feels pretty lousy. Well, I think if you're given the uh, glucose, excuse me, the uh, vitamin C infusion, 50 grams over an hour, let's say. I'm sure, I've not done this, but I'm sure just based on what I just said, you can easily put 50, 75, 100 units of insulin in that bag so that it's getting in there at the same time as the vitamin C. Not a quick bonus, but it's getting infused over the hour-long period. And that, to me, is about as simple and elegant, and I like I call it a super C infusion. Yeah, because you're going to uptake more into the cell. And uh, forgot about it. And you add the hydrocortisone as well mm -hmm. in the IV. Right. 50, gram, 50 milligrams. So for patients at home, you mentioned a reasonable amount of vitamin C. For, you know, the average adult that's not chronically sick, what's, what's that look like? Well, I've never figured out why some people have such sensitive bowels, but some of them do. So I, there's that... <laughs> patient out there where you give them one gram of vitamin C and they start having loose bowels. Okay. Yeah. Well, what you want at least would be, in my opinion, at least six grams a day, you know, two grams, three times a day. Uh, and there's another thing too is, uh, remember I was talking earlier about ascorbic acid and dehydroascorbic acid, and it does oxidize in solution. Well, that's not so bad because I just said both of them, both of them work well. So you can mix yourself, whatever, you know, 
five grams, six grams inside a, a favorite juice or this out of the other and sip on it over a couple hours. And if somebody gets into that type of habit, even if they have sensitive bowels, I think they can easily get the, the, get their intake to 10 to 15 grams a day without, without inducing the flush reaction. Because the bottom line is, and uh, sounds horribly simplistic, and it is simplistic, but you really can't overdo vitamin C, okay? Yeah, the, the, the more you can get in, the better. Vitamin C is the only agent, only agent I know of that's never had a toxic level defined, okay? Hmm. You can drink water until you go into hyponatremia, mm -hmm. hyponatremia seizures and die. Well, if all you did was drink water and you're dead, you got you to conclude the water was toxic, right? That's yeah. what <laughs> so You can't take enough vitamin C to kill yourself. And obviously, if if you can introduce a hundred grams, hundred thousand grams, sorry, in an IV, then there's, it's going to be almost impossible to overdose with an oral dose, especially right. if you're doing like we have liposomal nanoparticle forms of it, which don't seem to impact the bowels as much. So right, patients right. can take a ton exactly. more. Yeah. And, and you know the thing too about the. Most of the time, if somebody is getting a 100, 100 gram infusion and oh, they're not feeling that great on it, it's not vitamin C toxicity. It's the fact that the vitamin C is mobilizing a lot of toxins out of the yeah, cell like and they're somewhere. flooding the blood. Uh, Dr. Honey and, Hackey, I, Honey, Hackey and I long ago found that you know what the best way to treat a vitamin C induced detox is? more vitamin C, yeah. <laughs> but at a slower rate, Right. at a slower rate. Okay. So you have a hundred grams and all of a sudden they're just feeling awful. What yeah. you do is you, you stop the infusion yeah. and then you re let the patient settle down for a while. And then you reintroduce it at 25% of the infusion rate. Mm -hmm. And then what that does is all it does is mop up the pro-oxids in the circulation but it's not getting in at a high enough dosage to flood the cells and cause more toxin release. Got it. Um, for someone dealing with something uh, versus just general wellness and maintenance of you know, how, how often would you recommend somebody get a vitamin C IV just for general? As often as they can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mean to sound trite, but I mean, yeah. yeah it's, I know. We're being onslaughted with so much stuff. I mean, we have what I call a toxin debt. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they're like this, you know. An abundance, you mean. A toxin <laughs> abundance. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> I guess it's the vitamin C debt we have, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and, and you can't just make it go away by wishing it goes away. I mean, if you're exposed to X amount of toxins that are in yeah. your body, you're not going to neutralize it with Y amount of vitamins or other antioxidants. You got to get it up there at the same time, reducing exposure. So it frustrates people that are looking for hard and fast rules and regulations. Take this now, take this amount, don't they? Most people, though, once they got start taking vitamin C, they actually self-adjust pretty good. Mm. They self-adjust pretty good. They realize a little more doesn't make it hurt them, and a little more might make them feel better. So, 
I mean, you start most people on some regimen of vitamin C and then check with them six months later. Uh, they're not taking it the same way as when you started. Right. They come a little more in tune with when they need exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. They increase their health intuition. Yeah. That's good. Um, so a person taking daily doses of six grams to 10 grams a day of liposomal C or whatever their gut can tolerate and then coming in and doing weekly or monthly IV vitamin C would be a great way to sure probably not get sick. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, you, you're familiar with my orthomolecular. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw the one I wrote on methylene blue. You should take a look at that. Uh, it's called resolving colds to advance COVID with methylene blue. Um, like I said, it violates the orthomolecular principle. It's not yeah. occurring in nature. Yeah. But but doggone it, it's uh, it's it's it actually it has a little interesting history. It's the first drug that was ever synthesized. Synthesized. And was it synthesized as a drug, or was it literally a dye? That's a dye. Yeah. That's a dye. And then they found out it helped methemoglobinemia, uh, and uh, they, they just and they found out too that it rapidly concentrates in the brain and nervous system mm -hmm. okay so, sort of like just does away with the worry about the blood brain barrier right and it's probably the first major antidepressant agent because it's chemically related to a phenothiazine and they so many people after their first dose of methylene blue their depression disappears it's amazing now i've read some things about methylene blue i take it myself i just like the way that it colors my water blue I think it's really pretty. there's an aesthetic thing to that as well which i think is healing <laughs> um but is there too much like is there in that instance is 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 there a point where it can be too much for the kidneys or build up in the system or what is the data not not not, not that i know of in in regular supplemental doses now when yeah. you're dealing with somebody in the intensive care unit and you're getting on toward uh they talk about two milligrams per kilogram two to three milligrams per kilogram uh, uh per day as being a, a substantial dose i mean the the line is not clear cut but then they say five milligrams to seven milligrams of uh, uh per kilogram is too much and really probably the only significant thing that you that you can detect readily to indicate toxicity because it does have toxicity it's not mm -hmm. not vitamin c in that regard right. is that uh it will start promoting methemoglobinemia rather than just reversing it mm -hmm. so yeah. so so there is a i don't know is that hormesis i don't know something like that i mean there's there, there's a curve upon which you yeah. uh too much of a good thing not a good too thing much anymore. of a good thing but <laughs> but i think uh 5 10 15 20 milligrams a day is, is a good supplemental dose Okay. With with a great deal of freedom, obviously, to, uh, to to work higher. I mean, I have some friends in Colombia, South America, and um, they're poor. They don't have vitamin C, and this and the other. And I was first working with my methylene blue, and my friend down there, she's got no formal education, but she's smarter than anybody I know. You know, so. And I said, uh, Zoraida, try this. Her her daughter had had. Uh, severe flu for a week and then was developing laryngitis couldn't talk she's a nurse 
And they have vitamin C and other stuff like that, but it wasn't hitting it. And as it turns out, she could go to the go to the local drugs drug pharmacy and get a bottle of methylene blue for thirty five cents. I mean, so that, that was nice. <laughs> and uh, and doggone it, she expanded the protocol. So she 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 gave it to her her daughter to drink, but made sure she gargled with it first before mm -hmm. she swallowed. And then applied it in both noses, both nares, and then in each ear. Hmm. Well, she started getting her voice back three or four hours later. Hmm. Now, if somebody has laryngitis and they've lost their voice, nothing gives them a voice back in right. three or four hours. Yeah. And she felt almost well the next day getting over her um, the flu that she'd been dealing with for a week. So it's, it's, it's a phenomenal anti-patch. So you could you could almost make the perfect sipping cocktail for you know taking throughout the day with your vitamin C, your methylene blue, maybe some electrolytes, whatever a liquid multivitamin. Throw it almost like uh, a sipping IV, like an oral I, <laughs> IV. You could, but I'm not that fond of a blue tug. I mean, you, you, yeah. no, no matter how you. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you look like something out of Avatar or something like that. I don't think my tongue's, it keeps my teeth looking white, I think. Okay. Well, <laughs> well I, I don't see anything blue about you now. So no, no. It's like, it's like that whole rumor that you turn blue when you, when you uh, take silver. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's been awesome. Awesome information. How about um, another thing that we see in our area? I know it's spreading throughout the entire country and into Canada and other places is Lyme. We have a lot of people coming in with chronic Lyme, uh, newly diagnosed Lyme. I would imagine high dose vitamin C would be right at the top of the list of the things, just like any infection. And let me tell you, high dose vitamin C does it by itself, but it takes a prolonged period of time. Right. Uh, I just, I had somebody who treats a lot of Lyme telling me he was getting fantastic results when he was combining the hydrocortisone Got with it. the IV. Huh. Okay, so same principles. Uh, but even though it would reliably resolve Lyme in like a whole series of patients that I saw, I was always reluctant to recommend it because it took like about 20 IV infusions. Huh. And most of the patients didn't feel better the whole period of time right. until the final infusion. And then it was like a light switch went on. Well, I'm, I'm just not comfortable, you know, telling people to go spend six hours on 20 IVs in the event that they don't start feeling better. So I, I'm, I'm more wedded to something where they at least start feeling a little bit better at the early onset. And I think, I think that's the case if you combine the hydrocortisone with the high dose IV and magnesium and insulin. Right. That's well, the kind of hydrocortisone makes sense. Cause usually these, these chronic Lyme patients also are dealing with chronic fatigue. Mm -hmm. And that's why obviously, cause they're just completely burned out. Well, remember the magnesium also works to bring the intracellular oxidative stress down as mm -hmm. does the insulin. So, uh, I mean, I think a perfect approach to a Lyme patient right now would be, multiple 50 to 75 to 100 grand, depending on body size, IV infusion with uh, 25 to 50 milligrams of hydrocortisone and with uh, 25 to 50 units of insulin and uh, a couple grams of magnesium chloride. I think that would be a super infusion. Hmm. 
And um, you wouldn't need to have Lyme to get it. I think that's a super health infusion, <laughs> health, yeah. health IV as well. Yeah. And then it may not take 20 sessions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, that, well, I, if, I didn't, if I didn't make that clear, that was my yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. wouldn't take 20 seconds, sessions. Huh. Wow. And then you wouldn't need all the antibiotics for... <laughs> now, if you do that, I demand feedback. Okay. Well, we will keep you posted. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I appreciate you sharing all your knowledge and and time with us today. I know this, this could easily be 10 hours. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, my workshop is six hours and that's not really enough time, but that's as much energy as I have. (laughs) Yeah. No worries. We'll, We'll probably be on that too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's great to finally meet you because we've been reading your works and your books and your your publications, and we've been talking about touting it to our patients. And so it's just it's awesome to be able to pick pick our pick your brain. Okay, well, happy to be picked. <laughs> All right. All right. Enjoy we'll talk the rest to you of your week. Yep. All right. Take care. Bye.